With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Tremendous Tuesday to one and all. Welcome into MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you. From the Azuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas, we've got a great show for you as Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN, he does pre and post game work for the Seattle Mariners, is going to be joining me. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. Unfortunately, the audio quality isn't quite as good as I typically get on my interviews. That is not on Curtis, obviously. That is just an issue that I'm having with one of these softwares. I have let them know about that because I always try to give you guys a high-quality show, and I always intend to do so, but the interview is going to be high-quality. I do guarantee you that. In the final segment, what else is going to be high-quality is that I'm going to give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. There were only four games yesterday, so we're going to have only a little bit to react to, but you guys did send in some Twitter questions. That means that you guys are going to get some answers. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Matt Felk asked me this. He goes by the Twitter handle at Matt A. Felk at GNR 81. I noticed today with my bets, I picked eight unders and zero overs. And this is from Sunday, by the way. This is one that I just unfortunately did not see yesterday until now. So I am just reacting to this. So I thought I'd count yours. And you played 12 unders in 15 games today. The question I'm getting to is, 
Do you think there's more value in unders on weekends because more public betters equals more over betters? And for me, the fact that I took so many unders on Sunday and so many of them hit had absolutely nothing to do with the betters out there. I am one of those people. I do not care who's betting. There could be a billion sharps betting, and I'm going to bet the same way. There could be a billion squares betting, and I'm going to bet the exact same way. The reason why I took so many unders on Sunday is because I just noticed that day, it just seemed like there were a bunch of undervalued pitchers. Guys like Zach Davies were taking the mound, and guys like that. I just thought that there were a lot of pitchers out there that maybe the public doesn't really know about and maybe are a little bit undervalued by bookmakers as well because it is all about how other people are betting. And I just thought that that lined up where there was a good day where a lot of people were betting on overs just because they probably thought, nice day outside, things are going to be flying out. And I do tend to bet a little bit more to unders on day games as well just because typically with day games, they either go way in the heck over or they go way in the heck under. And keep in mind, on Sunday, we also had that Cubs versus Cardinals game. They had wrapped up their previous game like literally less than 12 hours before first pitch the next day. It ended at like 1 a.m. Central. They had to come back at 1.15 p.m. I mean, how are you supposed to take the over there? You knew that there were going to be a bunch of sleepy bats and everything like that. So it was just one of those things where I don't think that it's because it was a weekend. It was just one of those things where I saw a lot of value in the pitchers. I thought that the lines were set a little bit too high, and I hammered them. And obviously on Sunday, we did see a lot of unders. Johnny Lou has this one. You can follow him on Twitter at LaidbackLou, and Lou is spelled L-I-U-S at underscore one Hey, Greg. And I say, hey, back. Does the wind at Wrigley or any other park play a pivotal role for you in the over slash under? It does play a little bit of a role. I don't think it can ever be your end-all be-all, though, because wind or not, you Darvish, who pitches for the Chicago Cubs, is going to give out walks like it's candy. Now, if the wind is blowing out, that total is going to be a little bit higher. If that wind's blowing in, it's going to be a little bit lower. But you know what? You Darvish is giving out like five walks per every nine innings. He's still going to give out five walks per every nine innings. And then whenever you have good pitching, they're going to do a much better job of being able to cope with that as well. So it is something that I do take into my handicapping. I think you'd be stupid not to. But at the same time, it can never be your end-all, be-all. It's just one of the many factors that you have to take into it because the Milwaukee Brewers are going to hit a little bit differently at Wrigley Field than, say, the Miami Marlins or a team that is struggling right now, the Detroit Tigers. It's all based on the teams. It's all based on the mashers that you have out there. Some teams do a little bit of a better job of playing small ball as well, and then you need to note that as well. Some of these teams, they're hitting a bunch of home runs like the Seattle Mariners. I think they're a team that really struggles when the wind is blowing in because they're a home run or nothing style team. Meanwhile, you get the Houston Astros. They're able to score runs in a variety of different ways. So it is something that I certainly look at, but at the same time, I'm not going to base my whole over-under theory based on how the wind is playing or anything like that. And we got one more in full disclaimer. I absolutely hate having to address this, but I'm going to anyway. Rye, who goes by the Twitter handle, at ry34164219, at one Hey, G, do you believe these games have a possibility of being fixed, like the Astros game tonight, for example? I highly doubt anyone will buy the Mariners to beat the Astros, but if everyone fades the Mariners, how would Vegas balance out the bets? 
Now, for one, Vegas is taking a position on just about every single game. They acknowledge that they're not going to get 50-50 action on just about anything. They do their best, but no matter what the books do, they're never going to get 50-50 action. They just have to pick their spots. They're going to win some. They're going to lose some and everything like that. And these games aren't fixed. I always try to be nice on this podcast and everything like that. But if you think that baseball games are fixed, you're probably in your mom's basement right now wearing a bunch of tin foil on your head and you're wondering when Mars is going to crash into the Earth. Seriously. There is just no amount of money that can be paid to these athletes that is going to cause them to want to fix games. Do you know how much Mike Trout makes? Do you really think that he's going to sit there and be like, ooh, I can get an extra $10,000 if I make sure this game stays under. I'm going to strike out this at bat. I don't think so. Do you know how much starting pitchers make? Most of these guys make hundreds of thousand dollars per start. They're not going to tank a start, and they're not going to risk being able to make hundreds of thousand dollars just for taking the mound once every five days to just blow a game because betters just don't have enough money to be able to blow it. And even if someone did come up with enough money, I don't think that there'd be enough wagered on it to be able to pay those players enough to be able to throw these games. I just cannot see it happening. And you know who typically catches fixed games before anyone else? The books. The books do the best job of being able to moderate all this action. You're just not going to get me to believe that anyone is fixing games right now. Not with professional salaries and everything like that. If you want to talk about college, I still think that you're a moron, but I'll at least entertain it because these kids are only getting room and board. But I just cannot believe in this day and age that anyone is getting paid to be able to fix MLB, NBA, NFL games, anything like that. I'm sorry. I'm just not here for it. That's just my opinion. You guys are free to your own. Some of you guys are probably laughing at me saying, oh, of course it's fixed. No, it's not. Just just stop. But we're going to leave it at that. And now we're going to take a look back at yesterday's games. And we're going to become better handicappers from it. And we are going to completely leave this topic. What trends should you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black. The LA Angels died on that Cahill on Monday as the Chicago Cubs were able to completely slaughter the LA Angels. I guess you could call them headliner in the 8-1 win that they had over the LA Angels. For the Angels, Cam Bedrosia was the opener. He went one on inning, did not give up any hits, any runs, anything like that. And Trevor Cale looked pretty good to start out with. This game was 1-0 going into the bottom of the 6th inning, so he had been limiting the damage. And then in the 6th inning, the levy broke and... The Cubs wound up getting five runs in that inning. Trevor Kale winds up going four and a third innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were in. This guy's to be towards the top of your fadeless. He now is a 7-1-8 ERA, and things did not get a whole lot better from there as the Angels' bullpen winds up giving up three runs from there. Luis Garcia wound up giving up home runs to both Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras, and Justin Anderson gave up a run himself as... For Javi Baez, that was his 14th home run of the year, and Wilson Contreras his 13th. And John Lester, even though he loaded up the bases in the top of the 7th, was able to get out of it while only giving up one run, and he had a very good start after having a couple rough ones. He goes 7 innings, giving up 4 hits, 1 run, and just 1 walk. He was hurt a little bit by an error, but he was able to get out of it, and the Cubs were able to get a very convincing win. By the way, in that game, the wind was essentially blowing out to, I believe it was left field. So, wasn't a whole lot of wind in that one. We had a good pitcher's duel out there in Arizona as the LA Dodgers take down the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 3-1. to one. 
Walker Beeler seems to have found his magic touch. I saw exactly what I needed out of him in this one to be able to back him once again. Eight innings pitch, 11 punch outs. He gives up two hits with just one run. Now that one run was a solo home run and supplying that power was Christian Walker's 11th home run of the year. After a little bit of a funk in May, it seems like he has his groove back, but all in all, just a terrific start from him. And Kenley Jansen was able to close the door in the ninth inning. For the LA Dodgers, it was a big hit in the fourth inning from Corey Seager. That was a difference in this one. He winds up getting a three-run home run, his eighth of the year. And for Robbie Ray, it was still a pretty good outing for him. He goes seven innings, he gets nine punch outs, he gives up those three runs on that home run. And then from there, the Diamondbacks get two innings of relief. But all in all, the big takeaway here, Walker Buehler looked absolutely terrific. Aaron Nola got off to a good start against the San Diego Padres, but the Padres were able to pile up the runs late as they take down the Phillies by a count of 8-2. to two. The Padres had one run in the fifth inning, and then they explode for seven in the seventh inning as Aaron Nola goes five and a third innings. He winds up giving up six runs, all of which were earned. Looked like he had really been turning around his season, and then it just all went down in flames in that sixth inning and then the reliever that came in after him to finish out that inning JD Hammer got hammered for two runs giving up a home run by the way can you have a worse reliever name than JD Hammer I just throw out there your jokes here I hope that we get to see more JD Hammers so that way I could just continue to make these jokes oh man JD Hammer and supplying the power for San Diego was Manny Machado he hammered his 10th home run off of Hammer in this one. And then the other home run was from Femio Reyes, his 17th of the year. That was off of Eric Supernola. Unfortunately, no Hammer there as Eric Lauer gets away. And he goes six innings. He gives up just one run. No Hammers needed from the San Diego Padres as they were able to get three innings of relief out of Brad Weak, Robbie Erlin, and Luis Perdomo. Weak wound up giving up a run. And that one run they gave up was a home run. And that was it by JT Riyamuto, his ninth of the year. But, man, here's what we found out from this game. JD Hammer, the funniest <laughs> the funniest reliever name out there in the big leagues. I still can't focus here. And good news since the Padres continue to have their offense going, thanks to Hammer. And we also had the Houston Astros in the nightcap, taking down the Seattle Mariners by a count of 42. The Mariners wound up testing out how an opener would go, and it did not go as planned. As things for the Mariners have not been going as planned ever since their 13-2 start as Corey Guerin. The opener winds up giving up three runs in an inning. Needless to say, that was not the plan when they had an opener because Wade LeBlanc, who came in after him, was absolutely spectacular. He goes eight innings and he gives up one run. If they wouldn't have used an opener, Wade LeBlanc might have pitched a complete game and gotten the win because the Seattle Mariners... He gave up one run. They scored two runs. And for the Seattle Mariners, they were able to get a pair of solo home runs. Edwin Encarnacion is 16th of the year. Malik Smith is third. And for the Houston Astros, they got a not-so-great start out of Corbin Martin. He gave up those two runs. In three innings pitch, he gives up those two runs. Now he's a 5-5-9 ERA. But Houston Astros, who have the best bullpen out there in the big leagues, just really bridge it together from there. Fanbar Valdez comes in and pitches four innings, giving up only two hits. And then from there, Chris Davinsky and Ryan Presley were able to preserve the game and get the win. And for the Houston Astros, even though they're down a whole bunch of guys, they still got some powers. Robinson Torinos, his eighth home run of the year. So what did we learn on this Monday? The Houston Astros are now playing unders with all their injuries, but they continue to win games. 
Trevor Cahill continues to be a piece of garbage starter for the LA Angels. The Seattle Mariners should not be experimenting with an opener ever. Walker Beeler appears to be back to great form. And the Phillies have a hammer on their team that is hammering totals. Yes, we are sticking with the hammer theme on this one. It is hammer time. And actually, it's Curtis Rogers time. It's coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about a little bit of everything out there in baseball, especially the AL, and what in the world is going on with the Seattle Mariners pitching. That is right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in wonderful Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. This is a man that I had the pleasure of being able to work with back in my days in Portland, Oregon, which... Ironically enough, for just two years ago. So, feels like it was so long ago, but yet it was not. And this guy is terrific. He's currently working out there at 710 ESPN in Seattle. Does some radio show hosting over there. He also does Seattle Mariners pre- and post-game work as well. One of the most dialed-in men in baseball that you're going to find. And you can find him on Twitter at a kid from Kent. You've heard this man on the podcast before, and he's joining me once again. It is Curtis Rogers. And Curtis, how are you doing today, my good friend? Doing good, Greg. Thanks again for the glorifying intro there. Can't thank you enough for that. Uh, great to talk to you, man. It is great to talk to you, too. And we're doing this interview as of Monday afternoon. And we know that the Houston Astros are currently in town to face off against the Seattle Mariners. The whole pitching situation for the Seattle Mariners is totally up in the air. I had a bunch of angry betters coming at me on Monday because as of 3 p.m., the Mariners still had not announced a starting pitcher. We know that they're going to have some form of an opener and then Wade LeBlanc coming in, but they're making it a total secret as to who the opener is going to be. I know that you see Kikuchi was supposed to go in game two of this set. He got scratched. What is the outlook for the Mariners pitching situation these next couple days? Because right now, I feel like nobody knows. Yeah, I don't even know if the Mariners know what their pitching situation is going to be like over the next couple of days. Like you said, they haven't even announced who their opener is going to be for Monday night's game against the Astros. They know Wade LeBlanc is going to be the, the long guy, the headliner, I guess, as it were, on Monday. But uh, they're keeping it very tight to the vest on what their plans are going to be on Monday night and also on Tuesday when it comes to who's going to take Yusei Kikuchi's spot in the rotation. What they're doing with Kikuchi is about once a month, they're either skipping his spot in the rotation entirely or just giving him a one-inning start. We saw it in the month of May. He pitched one inning, and then Justice Sheffield came in to be the starter or, or the headliner, I guess, following Kikuchi's opening, but Justice Sheffield pitched on the first of the month, which means his time in the rotation wouldn't be again until about the 5th or the 6th of June, so it doesn't look like he's going to be the guy on Tuesday, so you don't quite know who it's going to be, but we're all just kind of waiting on bated breath who the Mariners are going to have out there. The Mariners right now, they are in absolute sell mode. We've seen Jeff Passan and John Heyman both of those guys report this weekend that the Mariners are looking to tear it down. They're looking to get rid of any kind of veteran presence that they might have, anybody who's owed 
any kind of money, and it started with Jay Bruce getting moved over the weekend to Philadelphia. Uh, we've heard Edwin Encarnacion's name get thrown out there a bunch. D. Gordon is a guy who went healthy. Looks like he could have some appeal out there. Mike Leak, another guy, but who I don't know if anybody wants Mike Leak right now with the kind of home runs that he's allowing. But right now the Mariners are just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And I think right now the main focus of the organization is the draft on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And anything that happens on the big league field, they're just kind of letting it happen. It's hard to believe that this team was 13-2 and to begin the year. And now here they are. Like you said, they trade away Jay Bruce and everything like that. And you're going to get a seat up close and in person to what I believe is the best team in the American League. When healthy, obviously, with the Houston Astros. Currently, they're dealing with injuries to George Springer, Jose Altuve, and Carlos Correa somehow breaks a rib during a massage. Don't know how that happens, but apparently it did. But with that said, even with all these injuries, the Houston Astros were still able to find a way to get the job done in Oakland. They still have their great pitching staff. They still have the number one bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Am I crazy for thinking that the Astros are just head and shoulders above everyone else in the major leagues right now? I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. I think in the American League, they're certainly the safest bet, I would say, of any team that is among the contending group. In the AL, the National League, obviously the Dodgers, they're, they've won two consecutive National League crowns. They've won five in a row heading into Monday night, 41-19. and 19. They lead the majors in wins. But I look at the Astros and just their pitching staff, their lineup, when it's all together, when it's all healthy, they are the scariest lineup, I believe, in the American League. I would put them ahead of the Yankees in terms of lineup depth. The addition of Michael Brantley, that's been a really huge addition. I think that was an underrated move that they made this offseason. Brantley, who had had a couple of injury plague seasons when he was in Cleveland his final few seasons there, but, you know, the Astros bought him low and they're reaping the rewards right now because when Brantley is healthy, he's an all-star level bat. And to add that to Houston lineup that is filled with them already, I think that was a huge move. And, and then you look at the starters that, Houston has lined up for this series against the Mariners. They've got Wade Miley going on Tuesday, and who would have foreseen him running an ERA just north of three at 3-2-5? And then on Wednesday, they got Brad Peacock, who has an ERA also just north of three at 3-1-7. So they're getting contributions from guys who you may not have expected it, and they're also getting contributions from guys who you absolutely would expect it from, like Justin Verlander. And even when Colin McHugh was just getting bombed left or right in the starting rotation, they're just easily able to find a guy in Corbin Martin and just take his place from there. As Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast. And I mentioned the Houston Astros being head and shoulders, the class of the AL. Obviously, there's a couple teams out there in the AL East that are pretty good themselves. The Boston Red Sox were able to knock off the New York Yankees on Sunday. That was obviously a big win for the confidence of David Price, a man that has not necessarily had a lot of success out in the Yankees stadium. And then you've also got the Yankees in general who have overcome all their injuries and somehow, someway are just completely rolling themselves. Just how scary can the Yankees be if they actually get all their pieces healthy? Because I right now still have my questions as to when slash if Luis Severino is going to be coming back. Aaron Judge is still on the injured list. Miguel Andujar, things are not looking good there. But yet, they're just able to find guys like Gio Urshela 
Thario Estrada, guys like that that you've never heard of before in your life. Heck, Cameron Maben, they kicked the tires on him, and he's hitting like 275, and it's just all working magically for this team. God, yeah, Cameron Maben especially, having worked for the Mariners and seen them up close the last couple of seasons, when they added Cameron Maven last year, he was just, he was dreadful the last couple months of the season. <laughs> and to see him perform in New York, and it's a little disheartening just having, you know, covered the Mariners and seen just how they were unable to get out of him what he's giving to New York right now. Um, but then, like you mentioned, guys like Gio Urshela and Estrada, just plug and play guys. They were able to pick up Luke Voigt last season kind of off the scrap heap. He's now their starting first baseman, one of the best power bats in their lineup. It's really a testament to what Brian Cashman and, and his ability is to find talent. And, I mean, that's why he's been one of the best general managers, maybe the best general manager in baseball over the last, you know, 20 years or so that he's been in charge in the Bronx. You know, there's a lot of talent still with the Yankees organization that's injured. You mentioned Aaron Judge, Luis Severino, Didi Gregorius. He could be coming back in about July or August, he would be a huge addition to the Yankees lineup, especially with D.J. LeMahieu having his versatility, being able to play multiple positions in the infield. I think the Yankees, when healthy, and the Astros, when healthy, they are the two best teams in the American League. Even with Minnesota having the highest win percentage in the league right now, I still don't – I still don't get fear struck into me from them. I think they're still a couple pieces away from really being a amongst the best contenders in the American League. I think Minnesota is going to have a pretty easy time of it in the AL Central this season. But to me, I look at it as it's going to be New York when healthy and Houston as the two teams that are going to be fighting it uh, to the very end in the American League. I am right there with you. I think that those are the class of this entire AL, but I do think that the Rays are a very interesting story as well. They essentially donned the opener last year, and now we're seeing so many different teams using it. The Angels, the Mariners, the A's. Essentially, the entire AL West, Sansi Houston Astros, is now adapting the opener. I think that that's so funny, but this team just continues to be very solid. Austin Meadows, I feel like, might be the most underrated slugger out there in the big leagues. He spent some time on the injured list, yet he has a double-digit amount of home runs, hitting nearly 350. He's been absolutely terrific. They're finding offense out of guys like Brandon Lowe and Avicio Garcia. And then you've got the pitching staff that revolves around guys like Charlie Morton, Blake Snell. But then when they need Yoni Chirinos to be able to give them some good innings, Ryan Yarbrough and company, they're able to as well. I feel like this is a sneaky good team that if they're able to keep it together, is going to be good for a long time. Absolutely. I think the Rays quietly had maybe the best offseason of any team in the American League, considering where they were heading into the year. They were the third best team in the American League. They won, I think, 90 games a year ago, but it's much easier to go from that mid-level, like that 75 to 80 wins to that 90 win threshold than it is to go from 90 to 95 to 100. And I think the Rays are kind of on that trajectory. The addition of Charlie Morton, I think that was huge this offseason, and that was another underrated move. He's a guy who played his best ball of his career in Houston, and a lot of people wondered if he could replicate that. In Tampa Bay, they threw money at him, and he's just been unbelievable. He's got an ERA just over 2.5 right now. 
in that rotation. He's leading the team in innings pitched. You pair him with the reigning Cy Young winner, Blake Snell, and that's a, a tremendous one-two punch atop the rotation in Tampa. So I look at Tampa right now, and, and they're a fun team to watch. Unfortunately, they don't get anybody to watch them. I think they had, what, 5,000 people at the Tropicana Dome a couple weeks ago. And, I mean, that's a travesty that such a good team isn't being watched by even anybody in the town in which they're playing. But there's only so much they can control there. But I hope that they continue to win, and, uh, you know, hopefully people will start to recognize there. I completely agree with you, as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me right here on the podcast. Ed. There are a lot of people are recognizing what's going on in the NL Central. Myself being a Milwaukee Brewers fan, I always have to talk about this division. I believe that it's written in my contract, and the Milwaukee Brewers have been looking pretty solid. This is a team that their overall ERA is towards the bottom half of the league, and yet they're one of the best under teams in the big league. Something that I've noticed with the Milwaukee Brewers is that When they play high-scoring games, both teams are scoring like a double-digit amount of runs, and then the other games are like 3-2 to and things like that. I don't know about you, but I feel like the Milwaukee Brewers are one of those few teams out there that if they need to win a lower-scoring game, they can really do so. But if they need to win a like 12-10 to shootout like they did against the Pittsburgh Pirates a couple days ago, they're able to do that as well, and they're one of the best chameleons out there in the big leagues. Yeah, our team, like you said, that can win in different facets certainly helps to have the offense that they do, an offense that can get going. Obviously, Christian Yelich being, I mean, if he's not the best player in baseball currently, he's about 1B behind Mike Trout, 22 home runs. But then you've got Mike Moustakis, who, you know, was brought back on a one-year deal, 16 bombs, Yasmani Grandal, who is, you know, was another great offseason pickup for the Brew Crew, but like you said, that rotation, getting big contributions from Brandon Woodruff, Zach Davies, that bullpen, though, uh, with Josh Hader. After Corey Knable, who went down, you didn't quite know who was going to step up in his absence, but Josh Hader, he naturally slots into that closer role. But I think Milwaukee right now, they have the toughest road just because of how tough the NL Central is. I mean, that's a division that probably is going to eat itself alive just by the amount of top-end talent. Every team in that division has talent. Even the Reds, who are in last place, 27-32, and 32, they've got a ton of guys. And, and they're just hoping for, you know, Joey Votto to break out of his early season slump. They've got, you know, tremendous talent. Pittsburgh, they're a young ball club. St. Louis, with their additions the last couple of seasons, Marcelo Zuna and Paul Goldschmidt are getting healthier. And then the Cubbies, everybody knows the Cubs' star players, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, John Lester, Kyle Hendricks. I mean, they're household names across baseball. So, I mean, they're going to be in it regardless of, of the season. But I think the Brewers last year, with their postseason experience that they gained a year ago, making it all the way to the NLCS. I think that puts them in a, in a very enviable spot in that NL Central race just because of, you know, of recent years. And then it certainly is a great thing to have a guy like Christian Yelich in your lineup every day who you know is probably going to drive in at least a couple of runs. And he's putting together another MVP season. I think he's the runaway favorite in the National League already. If anybody challenges him, it might be Cody Bellinger from L.A., that's probably the only two guys right now that can 
stake a claim to the NL MVP race in the season's first two months. But right now, I think the Brewers, they're in a good spot. I do agree with you there. And Curtis, is there any team that you think might be in for a little bit of a better rise in the second half of the season or might be in for a little bit of regression because we've seen teams like the Minnesota Twins really have a good start. The Cleveland Indians are currently below 500 and are tied with the Chicago White Sox in the standings. I thought that that was a little bit interesting. We've obviously seen the Miami Marlins win 11 out of 16 games. I don't think that that's something that's going to be holding up anytime soon. But is there any team that you think might be in for a good second half of the year or a team that has really gotten hot that you think is really going to cool down? A team that I could see rising in the season's second half, Boston, just because of the season they had a year ago, winning 108 games and, and largely bringing back the same cast of characters. And then, you know, you've got Michael Chavis, who's a young player, and he's certainly shown flashes of, of great potential there. I think Boston could very well be a team that leads forward a little bit in the season's middle part here. Another surprise team that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon is the Texas Rangers. I think they're a team with an offense that is built to play at any ballpark. And then I think Joey Gallo, when healthy, he has been a a tremendous force in that lineup. He is a three-true outcome player, but he has been far more dynamic this season than he's ever been in his career. He's not hitting, you know, around 200 anymore. He's up around 280, which definitely increases his value and has made him the best player in the Rangers lineup. And then, you know, their pitching staff is surprised. Mike Miner, certainly, maybe the biggest surprise in terms of AL pitchers. He's leading the entire league in war. So the Rangers, their team I could see sticking around in at least that AL wildcard race. I think the Astros are going to be the team that runs away with the division. A team I see maybe stepping back a little bit, in the season's middle part here. I'm just not entirely sold on the Braves pitching right now. Maybe it's because, you know, you've had Mike Fulton-Nevich, who has missed most of the season's first couple months, and when he's came back, he saw a huge dip in his velocity. And then Julio Tehran, not really the top-flight guy you want. Does anyone have faith in Julio Tehran? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the Braves... They've got great offensive talent, young offensive talent with Ronald Lacuna, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley. But right now their pitching is lacking. Maybe they go out and get one of Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell to help things out for them. I mean, obviously those guys are going to be in the news over the next couple of days as there's no longer the draft pick compensation attached to them. But I think the Braves could be a team. I don't know if they're going to hang around. I think the Phillies are better built in the National League East. And that's even with the Phillies on a four-game losing streak. I think their addition of Jay Bruce gives them a huge power bat off their bench. I don't think they're done adding. And I think they've shown a willingness to spend. Obviously, last offseason, adding Jake Arrieta to the rotation. This offseason, adding Bryce Harper before spring training. So I think they're a team that's unafraid to, to go out and make big moves. And I think that, you know, with their addition of Jay Bruce, it certainly shows that the Phillies are buyers heading into the trade deadline. Absolutely. And Curtis, I would like to close it up with this. Everyone knows now that you are just tremendous in your baseball knowledge. You do a little bit of everything out there at ESPN 710. You're all over social media as well. Let the good people know where they can get a little bit more Curtis in their life. (laughs) Well, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at a kid from Kent. 
can also check out my show podcast, the Seattle Sports at Night and Seattle Sports Saturday podcast. You can subscribe to that on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, and then uh, every pre- and post-game show with the Mariners. So, yeah, that's that's what we got going on. Terrific. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers for joining me in the last segment right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zuniti Go Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, everything like that. I'm waiting on some line moves on a couple of these games. Other of these games, you're waiting on just lineups in general and everything like that. And in the case of the Seattle Mariners, as we were talking about with Curtis Rogers, they need to decide upon a pitcher, so... That is always a boatload of fun, but I will be keeping you abreast of everything that goes on with that. And then, as always, for everything else, I will fill it in on the Twitter feed. And we start in Las Vegas rotation order, as always. 901, 902, it is the Atlanta Braves in Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates. Stephen Brault goes for the Buckos. Matt Freed for the Atlanta Braves. Total on this game is 9. The over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Braves, you're laying anywhere between minus 148 and minus 150 plus price here on the Buckos. Between plus 138 and plus 140. Stephen Brault has actually been a surprisingly po- profitable pitcher so far this year in baseball, according to Odd Shark, but. I'm just not buying into it right now. You take a look at Max Freed. He has been terrific so far this year. 7-3 record. 3-1-9 ERA. He's given up 7 home runs in 62 innings. I do think a little bit of regression will set in as he's only allowed 16 walks. 1-2-1 ERA. And then Stephen Brault. Despite his 2-1 record, the numbers aren't necessarily the best. In 30 and 2 thirds innings, he's given up 18 walks and 5 home runs. He's got 26 punch-outs and... He's got an ERA of a 1-6-0. I think the Atlanta Braves should be able to hit him apart. With the Atlanta Braves, you've got Dansby Swanson doing a great job for this team. He's got 12 home runs, 265 average, 41 RBI. Freddie Freeman is providing a little bit of everything. 14 dingers, 35 RBI. He himself is sitting above 300. Nick Markakis has came back to earth with the average. He's now hitting right in the realm of about a 275. So he's cooled down from his early season hot start, but you've got Ozzy Albies, who's still able to contribute a little bit of everything for this team. He's hitting 266. He's good for a couple stolen bases. He's got seven home runs. We all know what Ronald Acuna Jr. is able to do. 277 average. He's got 11 home runs himself. And then you've got 
the guys like Josh Donaldson in the middle of the lineup that are hitting a 250, and Austin Riley has been terrific for the team. In less than three weeks, he's got eight home runs and is hitting a 328. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They've been one of the top over teams in all of baseball so far this year, and a lot of it has to do with Josh Bell. He's got 18 home runs, over 50 RBI. And he's hitting above 320 right now. It's absolutely sensational. Brian Reynolds is hitting a 350. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure why. But he is certainly getting the job done. Kevin Newman hitting a 316 as well. Melky Cabrera, 331. You got a lot of guys with a lot of high averages on this team. Kyle Moran is hitting a 275 as well. The catcher spot in general for this team has been a little bit of a woe. But with Francisco Cervelli out of the lineup, it actually seems like Jacob Sellins is doing a better job there. Adam Frazier is hitting right around to 260 as well. And then with the Pittsburgh Pirates, we also know that their bullpen, not good, to say the least. They've got one of the worst bullpen ERAs out there in baseball, other than Francisco Lariano, Kyle Crick to a lesser extent, and Felipe Vasquez. You don't have too many trustworthy arms, I think you're going to see at least one of them. With the Atlanta Braves, guys like Luke Jackson and Josh Tomlin aren't necessarily great, but they've been recently doing the job for this team. So for that reason... Looking at the Atlanta Braves on the run line, currently seeing a plus price of plus 105. I'd like to be able to get a little bit more, but I've already locked in the over because I do think the Braves are going to hit the Pirates and they're going to hit them hard. 903-904 on the bag rotation. The New York Mets play host the San Francisco Giants. You've got Madison Bumgarner going for the San Francisco Giants. Noah Thor Syndergaard for the Mets. Your total on this game is 7, and the over and under both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Giants, plus price here is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. If you want to lay it here with the Mets, that's anywhere between minus 130 and minus 135. Even if Noah Syndergaard were to provide a good start, which he hasn't given a whole heck of a lot of them so far this year, do you have any faith in guys like Jersich, Familia, Robbie Gazelman, Taylor Bashler, and that bullpen right now? They've been blowing games left and right. Meanwhile, the Giants, actually a top seven bullpen out there in regards to ERA so far this year. The long relief guys like Derek Collin and company have not been getting the job done, but when you get into the guys like Will Smith, Sam Dyson and company, they've been pretty solid at Madison Baumgartner. You can tell he's not what he once was, but he's still a solid pitcher. 3-5 record, 401 ERA, 74 innings. He's got 74 strikeouts and just 14 walks. 10 home runs is a little bit high, but that's how many Noah Syndergaard has given up as well. Noah Syndergaard. 490 ERA, 75 and a third innings. He's got 77 punch outs. These are two pretty comparable pitchers, and I do think the bullpen sets them over the top. Now, I will say the Mets do have a little bit of better hitting than the San Francisco Giants, but they are still dealing with the injury to Jeff McNeil as well. That is something that you want to note. Robinson Cano, it appears, is on the 10 day injured list, and they were getting something out of Dominic Smith as well. He is currently a little bit banged up as well, but what you do have for the New York Mets is Pete Alonso and his 19 home runs. He's been sensational, hitting a 260. Three there. Amid Rosario and J.D. Davis, both hitting between 250 and 255, and Michael Conforto for that regard as well. And Conforto has been doing a decent job. He's got 10 home runs so far this year. Wilson Ramos is hitting 270. Denny Echeverria has come in, and he's hitting right around 240. But one of the moves that have not paid off for the team so far is bringing in Aaron Althier. He currently has a batting average of a 050. Needless to say, that's not going to get the job done. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, you've got a lot of guys with batting averages that are not going to get the job done, but they were able to take a trip to Baltimore, and that was able to get the bats very healthy. As Joe Panic now hitting a 239, Evan Longoria 220, Kevin Pillar 232, Brandon Bell 243, Brandon Crawford 214, Stephen Duggar 242, the list goes on and on. But Mikey Stremski has actually been nice for this team. He's now hitting a 276. Evan Longoria was able to hit his seventh home run of the year on Sunday. Brandon Crawford had two dingers of his own in that game. And Pablo Sandoval 
has actually been doing something for this team. He's got seven home runs and it's hitting 275. He's been a nice cog out there in the middle of the lineup. I do think that the Giants are going to be able to continue to get right because what they're showing me right now is that they're able to hit bad pitching and with the Mets and their bullpen, they have bad pitching. So for that reason, I've already locked in the plus price here with the Giants. I think that Madison Bumgarner delivers a better start than Syndergaard and I do think that the Mets bullpen gives it up. So on the Giants and the over in this spot. 905, 906 on the betting rotation. You've got the Miami Marlins and they're in Milwaukee to face off against the Brewers. Jace Anderson goes for the Brew Crew. Pablo Lopez goes for the Miami Marlins. Total in this game is 8.5 and a 9 out there as well. I'll give you the 9 first. 9 as the under juice of minus 120 and the over is even. With the 8.5s, it's the exact opposite. Over is minus 120, the under is even. If you're looking at the Brewers, going to be laying anywhere between minus 166 and minus 170. Meanwhile, the plus price here on the fish is anywhere between plus 153 and plus 158. The fish have been very good. If you've been looking to get into your diet, you've gotten 11 wins in their last 16 matchups. I do think that this is a spot where the Brewers should be able to overwhelm the Miami Marlins. And I will say this, Pablo Lopez has not necessarily been the worst starter out there for the Miami Marlins. He's got a 3-5 record, 4-9-90 ERA. He's given up 8 home runs to 57 and 2 thirds innings. He's got 15 walks, so the command isn't bad. But I do like what Jason Anderson brings to the table as well. 3-0 record, 3-3-1 ERA. He's only allowed four home runs and 14 walks in 32 and two-thirds innings. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got that man, Christian Yelich, who's hitting 313 with 22 home runs and 49 RBI. He's getting a home run every eight at-bats. It's absolutely insane. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got a couple other guys that are starting to step up. Eric Thames is seeing more at-bats. He's hitting right around to 255. And then that is the same for Ben Gamble as well with Ryan Braun being in and out of the lineup. And Braun himself hitting 270 with a little bit of pop. Lorenzo Cain is hitting right around 260. But you really have to like what you've seen out of Mike Moustakis. 15 home runs. He's hitting in the realm of 260. They're really getting something out of Keston Hira now. He's elevated his average to a 280. And he's a guy with some pop. He's got six or seven home runs so far this year himself. Orlando Arcia had two home runs in the game on Saturday to lift the Brewers to a run line victory over the Pirates. He's now hitting 265. Now Manny Pina is coming off the injured list. He still has his average at a buck 40, but perhaps the trip on the injured list actually did him a little bit of good. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Miami Marlins. They still have the worst offense out there in the big leagues. They're averaging a little bit over three runs a game. Before, it was under three runs a game, so that's a good sign. And Jorge Alfaro has been good for the team. He's hitting 278, nine home runs, 23 RBI. That's obviously been good for this team. And you also have Harold Ramirez, who has really stepped up for the fish. His average is sitting at a 373 ever since. He's gotten the call up to the big leagues. That's been nice. Garrett Cooper is now hitting a 256 with four home runs in limited at-bats as well. Neil Walker, who's been in and out of the lineup all year long, he's hitting 280. That's been good. But then you've got a couple other guys that are just not really doing the job. Curtis Granderson still hitting below the Mendoza line. They've been trying to get JT Riddle back into the fold as well. He's still hitting below 200. Sterling Castro's hitting at 230. Brent Anderson's hitting at 241. Neither here nor there. Russell Herrera a 220. And then Austin Dean, after his good start to the year against the Philadelphia Phillies, hitting a buck 51. And with the Miami Marlins, we also know their bullpen is absolutely atrocious. You can't rely on guys like Adam Conley and company. Meanwhile, with the Brewers, you've got one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues with guys like Jeremy Jeffries and company. So for that reason, could be looking at the Brewers' run line here and the over. I'm waiting to see if I can get over 8.5 at a little bit of something better than minus 120. If not, I'll have to take an unjuiced 9. And with the Brewers' run line, I'm seeing a plus price anywhere between plus 110 and plus 115. 
would like to be able to get a little bit more, but if I can't, obviously I will take it right there. 907-908 on the bag rotation. The Chicago Cubs play to the Colorado Rockies. Jeff Hoffman goes for the Colorado Rockies. Kyle Hendricks goes for the Cubs. This game is in Wrigley Field, so total is going to be off the board until the morning. But if you like the Chicago Cubs, going to be laying minus 180, plus price here on the Colorado Rockies, plus 165. There is a reason why there's such a big discrepancy here, despite the fact that the Colorado Rockies have been playing quite well themselves. And it is the fact that Jeff Hoffman, just really a guy that you cannot trust in, He's got a 1-1 record, but he's got a 720 ERA, a 160 whip. In 15 innings, he's given up three home runs. That is one home run every five innings. That's not necessarily good. And I like what I've seen out of Kyle Hendricks. He's been dinged up a little bit in his past couple starts, but there was a three-start stretch out there in the month of May in which he went nine innings and then eight innings, eight innings, not giving up a single earned run in that 25-inning stretch. He's got a 309 ERA, 111 whip. In 70 innings, he's only allowed six home runs and 13 walks. He has been absolutely sensational. Now, we don't know what way the wind is blowing, but typically when the wind is blowing in, Kyle Hendricks is just darn near unhittable. That'll be a lot of what my total hinge is on. I just have no play right now, not knowing the wind, but I do know that the Colorado Rockies do have Nolan Arenado in the lineup, and I know that he's hitting 345 with 16 home runs and 52 RBI. He has been absolutely sensational on the Rockies offense in general has been really getting it going. You've got Remy El Tapia at the top of the lineup who's been doing a very solid job of getting on base. He's got his average up to a 277. David Dahl is hitting a 331. Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond after very rough starts of the year. Both have righted the ship with Murphy now hitting a 250. Ryan McMahon is hitting 244, but he's starting to supply some power. Chris Iannetta had a 476-foot home run a couple days ago. Not sure how, not sure why, but that was absolutely incredible. Garrett Hampson is still hitting below the Mendoza line, but he hasn't been seeing too many at-bats himself. And for the Colorado Rockies, got a couple guys that you can't trust out there in the bullpen. Guys like So O, DJ Johnson and company are not very good, but when you get into the guys like Brian Shaw and Wade Davis, they are very trustworthy. Meanwhile, with the Cubs, they do have some guys I really like out there in the bullpen, like Brad Brock, Brandon Kitzler, and company, and they didn't have to use too many of them because John Lester delivered a good start yesterday. And with the Cubs, you've also got some great bats. Hobby Bias wound up going yard once again yesterday, and then you combine that with Anthony Rizzo and what he's doing. Anthony Rizzo hitting just below 300. He's provided 16 home runs. You've got Bias, and now he has 14 home runs. Wilson Contreras, 13 home runs. He's hitting 290, and then you add into the mix Guys like Addison Russell, who's hitting a 262 ever since he came off of his suspension. Carlos Gomez is now in the lineup. He looked very good in his first game with the Cubs. Kyle Schwarber still struggling with a 220, but Chris Bryant hitting 275 himself with a double-digit amount of home runs. It really leans me to the Cubs' run line. Cubs' run line price, obviously off the board right now because it is a game in Wrigley Field, but I'm going to be all over that. And then the total to be determined in this spot. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at June and underscore one for set plays there. 909-910 on the bang rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals play OC Cincinnati Reds. Luis Castillo goes for the Reds. Genesis Cabrera for the St. Louis Cardinals. Total in this game is 9. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even. Seeing two 8.5s out there as well right now. The over of 8.5 is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Reds, laying anywhere between minus 123 and minus 125. Plus price here on the Cardinals is anywhere between plus 113 and plus 115. And I just have absolutely no no idea why this line is so short. Genesis Cabrera had like a 6 ERA out there in AAA. And then in his first start against the Philadelphia Phillies, he got absolutely rocked. And I know that Luis Castillo 
seems to be falling back to earth a little bit, but he is just such a more trustworthy starter than Mr. Cabrera in the spot. You take a look at Luis Castillo, 5-1 record, 2-4-5 ERA, 1-1-1 whip at 69 and two-thirds innings. He's only allowed five home runs. The 32 walks is high, but so is the 82 strikeouts. Genesis Cabrera, in his lone start against the Philadelphia Phillies, went three and two-thirds innings. He gave up a home run. He had five strikeouts, but... He has a 7.36 ERA and cumulative for the year between the majors and the minors. He has just been absolutely awful. There is no backing him right now. We're seeing it with the Cubs. We're seeing it with the Cardinals bullpen as well. Andrew Miller is not his old self. Jordan Hicks is really showing some chinks in the armor. And for the Reds, you've got one of the top five bullpens out there in the big leagues. You've also got a Reds team that is really starting to mash as well. Derek Diedrich, 269 average, 17 home runs, 37 RBI. He's been terrific. Jose Iglesias is hitting 298. Eugenio Suarez is hitting 280 to go with 14 home runs and 40 RBI. He has really turned it on with the Cincinnati Reds. They played three unders in the last two weeks because the bats are super hot. You've got Nick Senzel, who's hitting 267 ever since getting called up to the big leagues. Joey Votto not necessarily getting the job done, but he's got his average back up to a 250. He's getting back to normal Joey Votto-ness. You've got Jesse Winker, who is hitting 236 to go with his 10 home runs. You've also got a couple guys that are struggling out there. Yasiel Puig only hitting a 210 at Josh Van Meter, who's hitting just at the Mendoza line. Tucker Barnard hitting right in that realm as well. But what you have to like about the Reds is the fact that you've got Castillo going. I do think that he's in for a little bit of regression. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got some pop as well. Marcelo Zuna is hitting 250, 16 home runs, 51 RBI. Paul Goldschmidt seems to be really picking it up with the average as well. He's got his average all the way up to a 275, and we all know that he's able to hit home runs. He's got 12 of them so far this year. Paul DeYoung is hitting 276, and Jose Martinez is back in the lineup, but he's seen his average dip below 300 now. Dexter Fowler has seen his average plummet to a 250. You've also got Jed Gurko is hitting below the Mendoza line. Colton Wong is hitting a 237. Matt Carpenter just 223. I do think that they're going to get a couple runs off of Luis Castillo, but I think a lot of damage is going to be done by these Reds bats, and I think that they are just going to be pounding the tar out of Genesis Cabrera and that bullpen in this spot. So, looking at the Reds and the over here, already locked in the Reds, and wait and see mode on the over, trying to get an unjuiced 8.5, just in wait and see mode there, but Reds already locked in and good to go, and we move on to 9-11, 12 on the batting rotation. The LA Dodgers are in Arizona to face off against the Diamondbacks. Taylor Clark goes for the D-backs. Hun Jin Ryu goes for the Dodgers. The total on this game is 9. And also seeing some 9.5s out there as well. We'll go with the 9.5s first. The under juice is minus 120. The over is even. On the 9s, the over is minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Dodgers, laying anywhere between minus 210 and minus 220. Plus price here on the Diamondbacks is anywhere between plus 185 and plus 195. Hunjin Ryu right now looks like the second coming of Greg Maddox. He has been absolutely insane this year. And Taylor Clark is coming off a start in which he couldn't get out of the third inning against the Colorado Rockies. The Diamondbacks are doing a pretty solid job with their offense, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to hit Hunjin Ryu in this spot. He has an 8-1 record, 148 ERA. I believe he's he's given up five runs in his last 57 innings. He's just insane. He's given up six home runs in 73 innings and five walks. Five walks in 73 innings. That is insane. Taylor Clark, meanwhile, 1-1 one one record, 5-1-9 ERA in 17 and two-thirds innings. He's hit a home run. That's good. He's only giving up to himself, which is not bad, but doesn't have great swing and miss stuff. 11 punch outs so far this year. 
And for the LA Dodgers, they have that man in the lineup by the name of Cody Bellinger. 20 home runs, 52 RBI. He's hitting 376. Josh Turner has not necessarily been there with regards to the power, but his average is still there. He's hitting just below a 300 for this team. You're noticing a lot of other bats that are really emerging for the Dodgers as well. Jock Peterson has 15 home runs. Jock Peterson has 18 home runs. He's hitting 272. Max Muncie has been doing a great job as well. He's got a double-digit amount of dingers. He's hitting 279. David Freeze ever since a rough start to the year. Now hitting 294 to go with his six home runs. Russell Martin is hitting 265. Chris Taylor is only hitting a 233, but he seems to be on a little bit of a come up. You've also got Alex Verdugo, who's hitting above 300. We're noticing recently that Matt Beattie is getting more starts, and he's hitting 286. Corey Seager has his average rate around 250. The only thing you have to question with the Dodgers is the bullpen, but you're probably not going to see much other than Kenley Jansen in the spot because Hunjin Ryu is consistently going 7-plus innings. Meanwhile, with the Diamondbacks, you're probably going to see part of their bullpen. And guys like Yoshi Hirano and Archie Bradley have not necessarily been the best, though they do have some good bats. Tavor Peralta is hitting a 309. Eduardo Escobar hitting 288 to go with 15 home runs, over 45 RBI. Christian Walker seems to be getting his average back. He's hitting right around a 250. He had a little bit of a rough go of it in May, but he was able to get a couple home runs last week to get him righted. Nick Abad is hitting 271. You've got Adam Jones, who has a double-digit amount of home runs himself, so that has been very good for this team as well. But with all that said, you just don't really have that one-star bopper that you can really rely upon for the Diamondbacks. And we've noticed that the offense has been a little bit hit or miss, and I do think that Hunjin Ryu is going to be able to have a tremendous start here, and I think that he's going to be able to hold the Diamondbacks at bay, which is why I've already locked in the under on this game. I think the Dodgers are going to be able to get to Taylor Clark and that bullpen, so I'm looking at the Dodgers' run line. Currently seeing a price of minus 125. would like to be able to lay a little bit less juice than that, but I'm going to be on that to go along with the under that I've already locked in. 9-13, 9-14 on the bag rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies are in San Diego to face off against the Padres. Chris Paddock goes for the Padres. Meanwhile, Jared Eikhoff on the bump for the Phillies. Total in this game is 7.5. The over is minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Padres, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 153 and minus 158. Plus price here on the Phillies is anywhere between plus 142 and plus 148. This is a spot where I actually do take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Chris Paddock has been pretty darn good all year long, but I will say he got a bit touched up against the New York Yankees, and I do think that there is some regression setting in. I feel like teams are starting to figure him out a little bit more. You take a look at Chris Paddock for the year, still obviously sterling numbers. 4-3 record, 240 ERA, 0-82 whip. He's only allowed 10 walks and 7 home runs and 56 and a third innings to go with the 62 strikeouts. Jared Eikhoff hasn't been awful either. 1-2-0 whip. The 10 home runs in 48 and a third innings is obviously way too many, but the good news is being out there in Petco, a lot of those home runs that he probably gave up earlier in the year might turn into fly balls here. He's also given up 15 walks. And then with the Philadelphia Phillies, you've got some guys that are doing a pretty good job of slugging. Bryce Harper leads the league in strikeouts, but he's now hitting 248 to go with 11 home runs, 43 RBI. Reese Hoskins has found it with the bat, 273 average, 42 RBI of his own to go with 13 home runs. And then you got Gene Segura in the middle of the lineup. He's been doing a very good job with his average as he and Sean Kingery have really been the leaders in that. Kingery hitting a 329, Gene Segura a 291. JT Rimuto is hitting 260, Cesar Hernandez a 290. Mikel Franco only hitting a 209 is a little bit tough, but what you also have with the Phillies bullpen is a bunch of guys are able to come in and do a good job. You don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to be nails, but you got guys like Hector Neris and Juan Niasco and company that are able to really know their role. Pant Nishik as well. And with the Padres, 
You've got some guys that you really can't trust in out there in the bullpen. Guys like Robbie Erlin, Matt Whistler and company. Those guys have not necessarily been great and it is really offset by the fact that Kirby Yates and Craig Saban do such a great job in the 8th and ninth inning, but if they don't have a lead, they typically don't go to those guys. But you do have for the San Diego Padres some guys that are hitting very well as well. Hunter Renfro, 261 average, 17 home runs, 33 RBI. Eric Hosmer is hitting 291 to go with his 9 home runs and 33 RBI. You're not getting a lot out of Manny Machado, though. For being a $300 million man, you expect a little bit more than a 251 average. I mean, he's provided a couple home runs this year, but you would think that he would have a little bit more than nine at this point, the way that seemingly everyone's hitting home runs. Will Myers has 10 home runs, and he's hitting a 225. Ian Kinsler still hitting below the Mendoza line. Wherever they stick in that catcher, just has not been working out for them. Ty France is hitting a 228. You have to like that they've got Craig Garcia going in the right direction. He's hitting a 253, but Josh Naylor only at a 207 himself. I do think that Eikhoff is going to give up a couple runs, but I do think that the Phillies are also going to get to Paddock here, so... I'm going to be on the over and the Phillies money line in this spot. Just some wait and see mode as to what set numbers I'm going to get there. 9-15, 9-16 on the bang rotation. The New York Yankees are on the road facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Clayton Richard goes for the Blue Jays. Masahiro Tanaka for the New York Yankees. The total on this game is 9. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Yankees, laying anywhere between minus 176 and minus 190. Plus price here on the Toronto Blue Jays. Anywhere between plus 163 and plus 170. This is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Yankees on the run line. This team has been so gosh darn dominant so far this year. And then you just take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, things have not necessarily been going their way to say the least, especially with the bats. You take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. I believe that they are now dead last in the major leagues in regards to their average. As a team, they are hitting just below 220. It just has not been going well for them. 218 to be exact. They've got 69 home runs in their first 59 games. And Justin Smoke has picked it up. He's got about five home runs over the course of the past 10 days. He's now waiting at 240 to go with 33 RBI. You've got Freddie Galvis who has seen his average really dip though. He's now only hitting a 250. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been able to provide a little bit of something for this team. He's hitting 248. He's provided six home runs so far this year, but Randall Grichik only hitting a 222. Kevin Biggio is hitting 217. And I will say for Grichik, he does have nine home runs, but Eric Sogard now hitting a 268. Brandon Drury, 225. Wherever they're sticking at the catcher has been hitting below the Mendoza line. Jonathan Davis has been absolutely awful. He's hitting below 150. It's just not going well for the Bats of the Blue Jays in general. And a bullpen that was so good at the beginning of the year. Also letting them down. Guys like Sam Cavillio and company just not getting the job done. Then with the New York Yankees, you got Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt who have a combined 33 home runs. Both these guys hitting in the realm of 270. DJ LeMayu hitting above 300. Gio Urshela is hitting 330-ish. It's absolutely insane. Cameron Mabin is all of a sudden doing a decent job for this team as well. Then you've got... Aaron Hicks, who's still hitting right around the Mendoza line, but you got to think that he's going to pick it up at some point. Clint Frazier, a little bit of a liability out there in the field, but he's got a double-digit amount of home runs. He's got a 272 average as well. Austin Romine and Kendrys Morales are the two weak links in regards to the bats, but Brett Gardner, who was a guy that was hitting below the Mendoza line, 
for much of the year. Now has really gotten odd. He's now hitting a 240. And with the Yankees, they've got one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. You've got guys like Adam Adovino, Aroldis Chapman, Zach Britton and company that you can all rely upon. And I do think that the Yankees are just going to completely smother the Toronto Blue Jays. And I do think that Masahiro Tanaka also going to be able to give a very decent start in this one. I know he's been Tanaka'd around recently to use a little bit of a bad pun, but all in all for the year, hasn't been bad. 320 ERA. Should probably have a better record than a 3 and 4. He's given up 9 home runs and 17 and a third innings to go with 17 walks. And Clayton Richard, in just two starts, has not really lasted long, which means that you're going to see a lot of the bullpen. He hasn't been awful. 338 ERA. He's given up one home run in those eight innings. Six walks is a little bit too high, but throughout his career, Clayton Richard has been a guy with a right around 5-ish ERA. He just has never dazzled. He's always had problems with his command, and I think that the Yankees are going to hit him, and they're going to hit him hard, but I do think that the Yankees hold the Toronto Blue Jays at bay, which is why I'm leaning towards the under in this spot, just some wait and see mode, because I'm seeing some steam on the over. And then with the Yankees' run line, currently seeing anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Would like to be able to get a little bit of a better number there, but I'm going to be riding both of those. 917-918 on the bank rotation. The Cleveland Indians play host to the Minnesota Twins, Going for the Minnesota Twins, Devin Smeltzer. And for the Cleveland Indians, Shane Bieber Fever. The total on this game is 9. The under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Twins, you're going to get anywhere between plus 118 and plus 120. Laying it here with the Indians is going to cost you anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. I do like what I've seen out of Shane Bieber so far this year, but Devin Smeltzer actually did impress me in his first start against the Milwaukee Brewers, they were able to get a win in that one. And this Twins team in general is so smoking hot. 40-18 and 18 so far this year. You take a look at what they've done over their first 58 games of the year. They have slugged a grand total of 109 home runs. It's just absolutely amazing what they are doing. They're no longer on pace for 320 home runs, but they're still doing pretty darn good. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians... As a collective, they have not been really slugging as they are hitting 226 as a collective. I will say that Carlos Santana picking it up for this team. He's got 11 home runs, 37 RBI. He's hitting 286. You've also got Francisco Lindor. He's provided the team eight home runs so far this year, and he's got his average up. He's hitting now a 293. Orlando Mercado, ever since he's gotten into the lineup, is hitting a 278. But everyone aside from their top three hitters in the lineup that they trotted out there on Sunday. Left with a batting average of 220 or worse. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. Now, Jordan Luplo has been able to provide the team a little bit of something. He's hitting 242, but it seems like all his home runs come against the Chicago White Sox. And then Mike Freeman is hitting a 244 himself. You might see a little bit of those guys, but it's just one of those cases where the Cleveland Indians have no bats whatsoever. Meanwhile, with the Minnesota Twins, you've got a guy in Eddie Rosario with 17 home runs, 49 RBI, and a 277 batting average. Jorge Polanco has provided eight home runs. He's hitting 338. Max Kepler, a double-digit amount of home runs. He's able to do a little bit of everything. He's able to lead off. He's able to go in the middle of the lineup as well. Mitch Garver's back in the lineup. He's hitting 325. Williams Estadio is another complimentary piece who hasn't seen a lot of action because he's been on the injured list, but he's effective as well. Miguel Sano has been on and off, but he's got some pop. He's been only hitting right around at 220 since coming off the injured list, but if they can get him going, it's just another weapon. You've got Jonathan Scope who's hitting 260. He's got 11 home runs. The list goes on and on and on. The Indians just don't have the firepower that the Twins do. And the Twins actually have one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues as well. I know that the Indians do as well, which is why I'm leaning towards the under in this spot. would like to be able to get an unjuiced nine on this, but we'll be playing the under, but have to lean towards the Minnesota Twins. I think that they're going to be able to do a better job against Shane 
Shane Bieber. And I think that Smeltzer, who is a little bit unproven but was very good in AAA, is going to be able to give a good start. And I think the bullpen from there is going to be able to patchwork it together. We move on to 919-920 on the bang rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are in Detroit to face off against the Tigers. Ryan Carpenter goes for the Tigers. Blake Snell for the Tampa Bay Rays. Total on this game is 8.5. The under is juiced at minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Rays, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 250 and minus 260. Plus price here on the Tigers. Anywhere between plus 215 and plus 220. Ryan Carpenter is just an absolutely unbackable side. He actually had a decent start against the Baltimore Orioles in his last start. But with that said, do you really trust him going up against Blake Snell? Blake Snell has certainly had his couple struggles so far this year. He's got a 3-4 record, but still a 3.06 ERA. 83 strikeouts in 61 and two-thirds innings. He's going up against a Detroit Tigers team that seemed to be doing a little bit of a better job with the bats, but they're still only hitting 228 as a collective. The 51 home runs, the second fewest out there in the big leagues, and Miguel Cabrera still stuck on two home runs with a 284 average. Nick Cassiano still has six home runs to go with his 262 average. That's been nice. Nico Goodrum had an absolutely terrific series against the Atlanta Braves. I will give him credit where credit is due. He entered with a batting average right around 210. He left with his batting average at a 234. Christian Stewart is now hitting 241 himself. He was able to get a home run on Sunday, so obviously that's a good sign there. But then you got guys like Darwell Lugo, who's hitting at 205. Grayson Griner is hitting below the Mendoza line. Gordon Beckham's hitting 224. Josh Harrison and Jaime Candelario both hitting below the Mendoza line. John Hicks is hitting a 221 himself. Brandon Dixon hitting a 302 is nice, but you're just not getting too much out of any of these guys whatsoever. Meanwhile, with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got Austin Meadows, who's been absolutely terrific. 357 average, 12 home runs, 37 RBI. You've got Avicio Garcia, who's also providing a double-digit amount of home runs. He's got his average hovering right around a 280. Yandy Diaz made his return to the lineup on Sunday. He's hitting 252. He's a guy with some pop. Christian Arroyo all of a sudden has emerged as a guy that can provide some pop as well. He's got two home runs in the last two days. William Adamas is hitting nearly 250 along with Kevin Kiermeyer. Both of those guys have been improving their average. The catcher spot has been a complete blow-up for them no matter who they put in there. And Daniel Robertson hitting just at the Mendoza line, but Brandon Lowe has also been terrific. 280 average double-digit amount of home runs there. I just think the Tampa Bay Rays should be able to easily overwhelm the Detroit Tigers, who just seem to have really punted on the season. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been the best team at being able to cover the run line in their wins. They have won 31 out of their 35 wins by two-plus runs, and I do think they'll do so once again. Right now, the run line price is minus 145. Obviously, I'd like to lay a little bit of less juice there, but I've already locked in the under on this spot. I think that Blake Snell is really going to hold down a Detroit Tigers team that is not hitting too well, to say the least. 921-922 on the bang rotation. The Baltimore Orioles are in Texas to face off against the Rangers. Drew Smiley goes for the Rangers. Dylan Bundy goes for the Baltimore Orioles. The total on this game is 11. The over and under are both at minus 110. And with the Baltimore Orioles, going to get a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. If you want to lay it here with the Texas Rangers, that's anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would rather back Dylan Bundy in this spot. Drew Smiley is just a gentleman that I have no faith in. And you also want to note, the Texas Rangers have been using a lot of openers. So check back in the morning to make sure that it is Drew Smiley. Nothing worse than just having your ticket voided altogether. But for Drew Smiley, 698 ERA, 176 whip. That would be an impressive bench press. And if your whip would be an impressive bench press for a set of 10, that's not good. 38 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 10 home runs and 27 walks. That's just not good. Dylan Buddy. 
He's 2-6 and six so far this year with a 450 ADRA. The 13 home runs of 59 innings that he's given up, not good. But he has also gotten 60 strikeouts. He's really limited the contact to home run or nothing as well. It's a little bit weird. And with the Baltimore Orioles, you do have a lineup that's actually able to do a good job of being able to hit. Renato Nunez has 15 home runs at a 250 average. Trey Mancini has been absolutely terrific with his 12 dingers. He's hitting above 300. You also have a guy in Hanser Alberto that has been doing a terrific job with his average as well. He's been a guy that has been hitting right around 300 for much of the year. That's been on a little bit of a downswope, but he's still hitting right around 275, and that goes for Pedro Severino as well. Stevie Wilkerson has seen his average dip to a 235, and Rio Ruiz a 240, but Jonathan VR hitting 260 at the top of the lineup. Dwight Smith Jr. now hitting 248, but he does a good job of being able to supply some pop as well with 10 home runs. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Texas Rangers. They might be without Joey Gallo in this game. You really want to check in on his status. It looks like he has been moved to the 10-day injured list, so they certainly will be without him. And that's big because he's been an MVP candidate so far this year. 276 average, 17 home runs, 41 RBI. But then you do still have some very trustworthy bats out there. Elvis Andrews is hitting above a 300. Sin Chu Chu is hitting just below 300, along with Danny Santana as well. You've got Hunter Pence, who's been hitting a 303, and he has really found the fountain of youth as he's got 11 home runs so far this year. You do have some guys that you really can't trust in in regards to the average. Rudnett Odor, Jeff Mathis, Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa, Ronald Guzman, they're all hitting below 200 along with Delano DeShields Jr. As Rubel Cabrera has provided nine home runs and he's hitting a 234. You've got Noah Mazzara hitting 271. He's got some pop as well. And then you do have to like what you're getting in general out of the bullpen recently for the Texas Rangers. Guys like Jeffrey Springs and Shelby Miller seem to be doing a little bit of a better job out there, but you really don't have a lot of faith in those guys either. That's not to say that the Orioles are very trustworthy either. They've given up 49 home runs just in the bullpen alone, and they've got the second highest bullpen ERA out there, but I certainly do think that the better start is going to be delivered by Dylan Bundy. And I do think that with no Joey Gallo out of the lineup, this total stays under. I'm in waiting see mode to try to get an unjuiced 11 in the spot, but I've already locked in the Baltimore Orioles as a play on this game. 9-23, 9-24 on the betting rotation. The Boston Red Sox are in Kansas City to face off against the Royals. Glenn Sparkman goes for the Kansas City Royals. Eduardo Rodriguez goes for the Boston Red Sox. Total on this game is 10.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 180 and minus 185. Plus price here on the Kansas City Royals. Anywhere between plus 165 and plus 170. This is a spot where I do have to take a look at the run line of the Boston Red Sox. The ERA would not necessarily be indicative of how Eduardo Rodriguez has played because he's actually got one of the better fielding independents out there in the big leagues. He's been much better than his 504 ERA would indicate. In 16 two-thirds innings, he's only given up seven home runs, 20 walks. He's got a 140 whip, and that is the same for Mr. Sparkman. But in 25 and two-thirds innings, he's only given up three home runs and seven walks. That's been a little bit of a shock to me, but he doesn't have quite the swing and miss stuff. He's got 17 punch-outs. Eduardo Rodriguez in his 60 and two-thirds innings, 66 punch-outs. That's about 9.6, 9.7 per nine innings. You got to like what you've seen there. And with the Boston Red Sox, you've obviously got a far better lineup. Mitch Moreland has 14 home runs. He's only hitting in the 230s, but he has been absolutely terrific at being able to provide for the team. Rafael Devers has been hitting really well with a 316 average. He's got eight home runs. You've got Xander Bogarts, who's really on a power binge right now. He and J.D. Martinez both have 12 home runs. Bogarts, a 305 average. 
J.D. Martinez, 294. Andrew Benintendi's had a couple struggles. He's hitting 259, but Mookie Betts is hitting a 280. Michael Chavis is hitting 264 with a double-digit amount of home runs. Christian Vasquez has his average up to a 298. And then you have Eduardo Nunez and Brock Holt, who are both hitting right around the Mendoza line. But all in all, the Boston Red Sox are very formidable with their bats. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, they're coming off a series against the Texas Rangers in which they scored a total of five runs in a three-game set at Globe Life Park. That is not good, to say the least. Whit Merrifield doing a great job of getting on base. He's hitting a 298 average. Adalberto Mondesi has over 40 RBI, 285 average. And then you've also got Jorge Soler. 239 average, but he's provided 15 home runs, 40 RBI. That's been terrific. Alex Gordon does a little bit of everything for this team. He's hitting at a 277 to go with nine home runs himself. And then you've got Hunter Dozier being able to provide a little bit of everything for this team. He's got 314 average, 11 home runs, but he's currently on the 10-day injured list. And what that means is you're going to be going into a lot of the guys that just have absolutely no idea what they're doing with the bats. Let's read off the guys that are all hitting so badly for the Kansas City Royals. You've got Ryan O'Hearn, Cam Gallagher, Billy Hamilton, and Martin Maldonado all hitting a 225 or worse. I forgot about Chris Owings as well. I have to throw that in there. Now Terrence Gore, whenever he's in the lineup, he's hitting right around 300. And they actually have been getting some very good signs out of a man that they just called up to the big leagues in Chesler Cuthbert. He is hitting a 417, and he got his first home run of his career in the last series. But there's just not a whole lot that you could look at with the Kansas City Royals and say, you know what, I think they're going to win this game. We're looking at the Red Sox on the run line and the under in this spot because I do think that the, that Eduardo Rodriguez and that good bullpen is going to be able to hold down the Kansas City Royals in this spot. Currently, I'm seeing a run line price of minus 115. Would like to lay a little bit less juice and would like to see where this shakes out in regards to the under. Would like to be able to get that 10.5 on juice, but going to be riding the under and the run line in this spot. We move on to 925, 926 on the bagging rotation. The Oakland A's are in L.A. to face off against the Angels. Griffin Canning goes for the L.A. Angels. Frankie Montas goes for the Oakland A's. Total in this game is 8.5, and, and the over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the A's, you're going to be getting a plus price here between plus 104 and plus 108. If you want to lay it here with the Angels, that's anywhere between minus 114 and minus 118. I've already locked in the under on this game. You take a look at what these two teams do in night games. They're both in the bottom half of the league in regards to run scored. And I do believe it's just because of that California air in general. These two teams play in two spots where the ballpark plays differently during the daytime versus the nighttime. And then you do take a look at the Angels. I do think that they're going to be a little bit more tired because they did have a game that they had to play yesterday. Meanwhile, the A's had a day off. I know that Frankie Montas, the only start that he had in the month of May that he gave up more than two runs was against the LA Angels. But I think he's going to be able to get on pace in this one. 6-2 record. 281 ERA. He's given up just four home runs in 64 innings, and he's not given up a single home run since the middle of April. It's absolutely insane. He's went over 50 innings without giving up a home run. Griffith Ganning, meanwhile, he has been spectacular. He has given up more than two runs, I think, in one career start so far. It's terrific. Two and one record, 306 ERA, 096 whip. He's only given up nine walks and six home runs in 32 and a third innings. But I do think that he lends himself a little bit more to hard, hard contact than Frankie Montas. Montas has the second best ground ball rate out there in the big leagues. And I think that's going to lend itself well in this spot. We all know for the Angels that they've got some guys that are hitting very well. Mike Trout, we all know what he does. 14 home runs, 298 average, 
37 RBI. Daniel Fletcher has been stepping up for this team as well. He's got 322 average. Tommy Lastella is hitting right around a 300 himself. He's provided 12 home runs. Albert Pujols has a double-digit amount of home runs despite the fact that he's only hitting 228 right now. You do have Cesar Puello, who's hitting 429 ever since he got called up to the big leagues. That's been good. Then you've got Jonathan Lucroy and Cole Calhoun. We're hitting 243 themselves. Cole Calhoun, a double-digit amount of home runs, but Lucroy seems to be on a downward trajectory right now. But Jared Walsh hitting a 280 also helps for this team as well. And with the Angels, their bullpen is really starting to fail them. And with the Oakland A's, you got to feel like it's improving because they DFA'd Fernando Rodney about a week or so ago. So that's going to help you can trust in guys like Blake Tryon and Lou Trevino a little bit more. And for the Oakland A's, Matt Chapman has been on a little bit of a power binge recently. 272 average, 16 home runs, 35 RBI. Chris Davis has been in and out of the lineup all year long, but he's still provided a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting just below 250 for this team. Steven Piscotty has his average up to a 269. Drickson Profar, despite the fact that he's hitting below the Mendoza line, has nine home runs. Robbie Grossman seems to be picking up with the bat. He's still only hitting 224, but there's some good signs there. Chad Pinder is hitting 272 himself. And then you've also got... Nick Hundley is starting to pick it up. He and Jeff Feigley at the catcher spot have been doing pretty good, and Feigley has really been the headliner at that spot. He's hitting 279, and he's provided seven home runs and a limited amount of at-bats. Marcus Simeon's 253 average leaves a little bit to be desired, along with Matt Olson's 208, but all in all, this is a solid A's team that I think is going to be able to win a lower-scoring game. So for that reason, looking at the A's and the under in this spot, already locked in the under, but I'm in wait-and-see mode with regards to the Oakland A's. We move on to 927-928 on the banging rotation. The Seattle Mariners play host the Houston Astros. The Mariners have absolutely no idea who they're going with for a pitcher. We just talked to Curtis Rogers in the last segment about this. We have no idea who's going to go. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros, it's going to be Wade Miley. This game is off the board because the Mariners have yet to announce a starter, but in this spot, I'm certainly going to be looking at the Houston Astros on the run line. If we're taking a look at a total of nine, maybe even a nine and a half, I'm going to go over. Something of like a 10, 10 and a half, I think would be a little bit too high. And despite the fact that the Houston Astros are without George Springer, they're currently without Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa as well. You do still have some very good bats out there in the lineup. God love what Michael Brantley's doing. Going into Monday's action, he was hitting 329 with 10 home runs. He's been absolutely terrific for this team. Heck, even Derek Fisher gets found off the scrap heap. He's hitting just below 300. Alex Bregman has 17 home runs. He's hitting nearly 270. Josh Reddick is still hitting above a 300. Yuri Gurriel, 270 average himself. Robinson Chirinos is hitting a 245. Jake Marizic, a 265. And then with the Seattle Mariners, you've got a whole bunch of boppers in their lineup on Monday. They had four guys that had 10-plus home runs, including Domingo Santana, who's provided 42 RBI, a 266 average. They obviously traded away Jay Bruce, and a lot of the guys that are trying to set them up, not doing a very good job. You've got Shed Long, Malik Smith, and Dill Moore, who are all hitting 211 or worse. Mitch Anniger hitting a 227 himself, but he's got 14 home runs. But they do get Kyle Seeger back in a very limited amount of at-bats. He's hitting 257, so that's good. But what's not good is the Seattle Mariners' bullpen. One of the worst out there in the big leagues, and it's really getting taxed right now with all the guys that they're having to go through. Meanwhile, Wade Miley, he's backed up by the best bullpen out there in the big leagues, and he's been pretty spectacular himself. 5-3 record, 3-2-5 ERA, 1-1-4 whip. He's given up 11 home runs to 69 in the third inning, so he lends himself to hard contact, but does a very good job with this command with just 16 walks so far this year. So I'm going to be looking at the Houston Astros run line, and the total really relies upon the number that we see coming out, but 
that is one that you'll be able to check back in the morning for on my Twitter feed at GNRSCore81. And the final game on the betting board, 929-930 on the betting rotation. The Washington Nationals play host to the Chicago White Sox. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the Chicago White Sox. Steven Strasburg for the Washington Nationals. Drawing this game is 8 The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you are looking at the White Sox, Massive plus price here. Anywhere between plus 220 and plus 230. One late here with the Nationals. That's anywhere between minus 250 and minus 280. If you want to lay 250 or more with the Washington Nationals with the worst bullpen out there in the big leagues, I salute you. I'm taking the I'm taking the Chicago White Sox here who have the better record right now. And with the Chicago White Sox, I keep noting it, they've got a top 10 bullpen ERA ever since the first two weeks of the year. They've actually been good. Guys like Alex Colome, Jace Fry, Carson Fulmer, these guys are getting the job done. And Ronaldo Lopez. This is not necessarily the best starter out there in the world. I will be 100% honest with you. But he's shown some flashes of being very good. You take a look at the start he had against the Detroit Tigers in very late April. He was absolutely terrific in that game. That was his last start in April. He went six innings, didn't give up a single run, had 14 strikeouts. And in the month of May, it just seemed like he had a couple starts where he looked very good against the Cleveland Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays about two weeks ago. He went a grand total of 13 and two-thirds innings. He gave up just two runs across those two starts, and we know this about the Washington Nationals. They are getting some of their bats healthy, but they are a little bit hit or miss as well. Juan Soto's hitting 293, 10 home runs, 38 RBI. Anthony Rendon, 331 average. He's had 10-plus home runs so far this year to go with his 35 RBI. You got to like what Howie Kendrick is doing as well. Howie Kendrick hitting above 320, but he's been in and out of the lineup a lot himself. Matt Adams is just hitting just a 237. Victor Robles, a 236. The catcher spot has been up and down with Jan Gomes and Kurt Suzuki, but I like what Suzuki's providing. 279 average. Trey Turner hitting nearly 270 himself. Gerardo Parra, 237. But then we all know about the Washington Nationals, their bullpen. You have nobody out there that you could trust. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, they've got some boppers as well. Tim Anderson has given the team nine home runs to go with his 330 average. Jose Abreu, 15 dingers, 246 average to go with 50 RBI. Now, Wellington Castillo is still hitting below the Mendoza line along with Yonder Alonso, but Castillo has essentially been relegated out of the lineup. They are now going with Josh McCann, who's hitting a 338. Lourdes Garcia is hitting a 293. Yoan Mankata has been doing a great job. 280 average double digit amount of home runs. Yomer Sanchez has his average back above a 250. Charlie Tilson is hitting 270 as well. Ryan Cordell and Eloy Mendez in the outfield are both hitting in the realm of 225 to 235. That's not necessarily great, but all in all, I do like what I'm seeing out of the Chicago White Sox. I do think that their bullpen is going to be able to support Ronaldo Lopez, who will probably get blown up a little bit. I do think that this is a game that's going to go over. I think the White Sox are going to pound that bad. Washington Nationals bullpen. And then with Steven Strasburg, he has his very good starts, and then he has his starts where he's just not so good, and I feel like he lends himself to a little bit too much of a contact. 5-3 record, 3-1-9 ERA. He's given up 7 home runs in 79 innings. He's got 20 walks and 98 punch-outs, but it's just one of those things where game by game, I really can't trust him. So for that reason, going to be playing the White Sox and the over. Just wait and see what what numbers I'm going to get. And that will do it for the Tuesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at unit underscore 81. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.